welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Schmelk, Fiegels, you at 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment, yeah. made to chill. We have not talked to Jeff Fiegels since before the final regular season game, so he has not have a chance to spread his opinion on a lot of the stuff that's gone on the last week. It's obviously been a little busy. So yeah, a little we'll, bit. We'll kind of start with the present and then work our way backwards a little okay. bit. So the big piece of news that came out yesterday, the Giants did announce one of their interviews. Uh, Chris Richard, who is the passing game coordinator and secondary coach for the Dallas Cowboys, kind of works hand-in-hand -hand with Rod Marinelli as their defensive coordinator. He was a previously a defensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks. He interviewed for the Giants head coaching position on Thursday. So, Jeff, let's start with that since that's the most recent news. Your opinion on Richard in terms of him being an option as a potential next Giants head coach? Well, I don't know about you, but I, I didn't know much about him other than, you know, just the name. But doing some research on him yesterday, just trying to figure out who he is, he's got a pretty good pedigree as far as where he's come from. You know, I, I didn't know he was that involved in coaching over the years, but. Um, I like what he's done. I think that he's definitely has the experience. One thing that I like about a young coach is the um, the adaptability to the younger players. We'll be able to kind of work with those younger guys. And is that a is that a problem in the NFL? I don't know if it's a problem, but it certainly can help because when I look at older coaches, John, these guys have to reinvent the wheel for themselves. They have to understand how the younger generation works. Chris Richard is a young guy; he's forty years old. Um, he, you know, he's not, he's not a spring chicken, but I mean, he can relate to some of the 23, 24 year old guys that are in the league. So. No question about it. A couple of notes about him. You mentioned it's coaching history. I talked about his defensive coordinator experience. He was a defensive backs coach with the Seahawks since going back all the way to 2008 was their DC from 15 to 17, uh, was a four year defensive back player in the early two thousands was a third round pick. He's only 40 years old. Um, in terms of the Cowboys this year, I thought their defense took a bit of a step back from yes. his first year as the passing game coordinator in 2018 sure. to this year in 2019. Their blitz percentage was way down. And again, it's hard to tell how much of this is Marinelli, how much of this is Richard. So keep that in mind as we talk about this. They only blitz 22% of the time this year, which is the 28th highest rate in the league. So only four teams or five teams blitz a lower percentage of the time than they did. He runs your traditional Seattle Seahawk cover three system. The Cowboys, according to Pro Football Focus, ran cover three 47% of the time. Okay. So. That's really high. So it's the same defense that you see the 49ers use. Um, Quinn uses it. Uh, who was the defensive coordinator that was the head coach of the Jaguars before Marone came along? Who left the Seahawks? Gus. Uh, Gus Bradley. Bradley. Thank you. He yep. runs that system. They all run that same yep. cover three system. So that's what he does. They did run cover one 27% of the time. So it's not all that. But that primarily is the system that they run. Um, the Cowboys were top 10, around eight or nine in most categories this year. The one thing they have struggled in the last two years, Jeff, is taking the ball away. Only seven interceptions this year for the Cowboys. Like the Giants. Which isn't a lot. Uh, their cornerbacks tend to kind of do that face guard style defense. They don't do a great job of getting their head around, right. generally speaking. So that's kind of the deal with Chris Richard. He was a big head coaching candidate last year, and now he's in yeah. line to interview for the Giants, or did interview, rather, and uh, for the Giants on Thursday. And a lot of times these coaches, it's almost like the Pro Bowl. Guys, when they, when they, they almost make it the one year, and then the next year they get in. And so maybe this is the year that he gets hired, whether it's here or somewhere else. But I certainly think he has the pedigree, John, to do it. Um, and I think that he he would be a good coach, whether it's here or anywhere. Now, technically, he might still be employed by Dallas. I'm not sure what his contract situation is there. They have not officially let Jason Garrett go. Yeah. I believe they've kind of let their staff talk to people. But obviously, if he is under contract with the Cowboys, they've granted permission. That's why the Giants were able to interview him. So just right, and right. An, an, an important thing to note. Um, Unless they, because what I had read that the that the Cowboys and remember this is just what I read, that they had fired all their coaches. So I don't know if he's still tied to. The you know what, Jason Garrett did say they said goodbye to all the coaches. So you might be right about that. So we'll um, see. Though, though Jason Garrett's still technically employed, I'm not sure what they're waiting for. But till January 14th. Yeah, <laughs> apparently according to reports. I, I gotta believe that there's something going on with him staying in the organization there, and they're just waiting to iron some things out. And maybe that their coach that they're going after, they kind of know that he's going to be available. You know, who knows? That's a weird situation, though. It kind of... Yeah, it, it makes you think that if they're holding on to him this long, they know who their next guy is going to be. Exactly. And that guy has already told them, I'm not going to go anywhere else. 
which Bingo. is why they're not in a rush to do anything, which obviously would point to one of these college head coaches, whether you're talking about yeah. Urban Meyer or uh, um, Lincoln Riley, you know, who knows, maybe Matt Rule, he's in Texas too. So those are the guys that, you know, people have kind of rumored to the Cowboys. We're not linking them, reporting anything. That's simply what some of the reports have been. Uh, Jeff, just in general, before I start working my way backwards here, yeah. in terms of what Dave Gettleman said on the radio yesterday, we'll get to that next. Just your overall thoughts, if you don't want to name any particular candidates um, on the coaching search, what your priorities would be. If you were the guy running the search, what would you be looking for? Well, again, I, I think that, I think it's imperative that there's this coach that they find has the ability to connect with the with the players. Now, I'm not saying that Pat Shermer didn't do that, and but in I, fact, he seemed to, given yeah, that the team continued to play hard for him. Th- that's exactly right. So I think that that's one thing of prerequisite. I feel like um, in the interview process that they could that coach could relay that to me that he would be able to do that. The other thing is my my prerequisite. I would like to have a defensive coach. I think that the Giants have had these offensive coaches around here forever. Um, I know the, the next question is, well, what about Daniel Jones and the maturation and the development of him? Well, then you go out and you get yourself a good offensive coordinator, a good quarterback coach, somebody that will be able to teach him. But I want a defensive coach. That's just me. I'm, whether I get it or not, I don't know. And the um, Giants said they were open to that as long as sure. they bring in a good offensive mind to help develop the quarterback. That's right. And I think that it's a little bit of, um, you know, and again, I'm going to tell you kind of the things that I heard on the radio yesterday with Dave Gettleman was saying a lot of things that I was like to hear is that, you know, there and I don't know how much goes on up John, upstairs, John, because we don't know the decision making in the head coach and the and the personnel department and the general manager have. Is it one sided? Has it always been col- collaborative? I don't know. But to me, those things have to work together. And I think those are probably some of the glaring questions that these guys are getting asked when they come into the building is, you know, what type of of power are you going to want next to Dave Gettleman? Will you be able to work together? And who knows? Some people might say, you know what? I don't want Dave Gettleman. I'm doing all this stuff. I don't know. So we'll see what happens. Dave Gettleman said he will be whatever ownership asks him to do in terms of splitting up those duties. One of the things they said on the radio yesterday, and I know the big deal was made about, you know, Dave Gettleman spoke about, you know, there was a decision we made by ownership to hire or fire the coach. Guys, it's kind of always been that way. I know you give your general manager the power to go select the head coach. They lead the search. But Ownership for every team is involved at that high of a level of the hiring process. It's just the way it works. Even going back to when the Giants hired Tom Coughlin, if you don't think Wellington Mara had a lot to do with that, you're yeah. nutso. No, of absolutely. course he did. Yeah, I mean, they, they're basically, you know, they're the ones that sign off on it. So, of course. And this, um, remember, this guy is the spokesperson for your whole organization, more so than any other person in the building. Every day, basically. So the ownership's always going to have a hand in, in who the coach is going to be. They're going to make those big decisions. So I think it's like that way for, frankly, most teams, if not all teams around the league. And unfortunately, John, when you think about this, the, the management here, unfortunately, I say this, they've had to interview a lot of coaches in the last four years. Correct. So mm-hmm. they've gotten pretty good at this. <laughs> you hope they've gotten good at it. It's a as skill you don't want to have to practice exactly. a lot, by the and way. That, and that's what I was trying to preface yeah. is that this is not a good thing. But if there is a good thing that they've they've been able to, to understand what to ask and what not to ask and maybe some new things to ask right. in the process. And so hopefully they get it right third time's a charm um, ever since, you know, Coach, uh, John, or Coach um, Coughlin has left here. This will be the third so. The other thing significant that David Gettleman, that David, Dave Gettleman, I don't know why I said David, uh, said on the radio yesterday, he had a multiple interview, serious. I didn't hear that one. I did hear FAN and I did hear uh, yeah. the one on the Michael K show. And the other real significant thing, and I'll let you go through some of the stuff that maybe you thought was significant too. It's something that we talked a lot about here the last two years. We've got a lot of people call up and, you know, people complaining oh, and fans worry yeah. about. Dave doesn't seem to have a plan. What was his plan? There was no plan. He seems to do this and that, and nothing is is cohesive, and nobody knows what he's doing. And I will preface this by saying Dave did not tell this to us when we said it about a year and a half ago. But this is what we figured out through what he said publicly and kind of understanding the way he operates and the way the organization works. And Dave said it on the air yesterday for everyone to hear. What Dave tried to do is rebuild this roster while at the same time trying to win. And he said it was very difficult. And he said, and we've said here, and the phrase I always use, if you folks remember, that's a very tough needle to thread. Yeah. It's a really tough needle to thread. And Dave said that. He said it's a very hard thing to do. And he basically said it was a mistake and I didn't do it well enough. Yeah. And that's how you explain while you trade a couple mid-round picks for an Alec Ogletree, 
you also trade a JPP for future draft picks. Mm -hmm. While you keep Eli Manning around, you also trade away some guys that you might cut in the offseason to try to fix the culture. So you're trying to work those two lanes at the same time. And it's like we've said here, it's a very tough needle to thread. Like Dave said, it's a very hard thing to do. They tried to do it, and they were wrong, and it didn't work out, which is why the two last two years have kind of been the struggle that they've been. And when it doesn't work out, you know it doesn't work out. You look at the look at the results. Um, the thing you want to look at now is that what is what is going to be the goal, or how are they going? To, what is going to be said about this next year? Are we rebuilding, or are we going to try to win while we rebuild again? Hopefully, they don't make that mistake again. Well, luckily, this is step three of the process, which Jeff. is and, winning, and, right? And this is when they have the cap space, and I don't think they'll be reckless with it like they were in 2016. Yeah. One, and you have the draft picks, and most importantly, this is the other thing I took out of something that Dave has been said this week that I don't think enough people have focused on and talked about. People want to talk about the new players coming into the draft. That's great; they'll help. All the money they can do to bring in new people in free agency, yeah, that's great; that'll help. What's in the end, going to decide not only the success of the team this year, Jeff, but how you eventually judge Dave Gettleman's tenure is how the young players he's drafted develop and whether or not they become good enough to be starters on a good football team. They've drafted so many guys, brought in so many guys that are young the last two years. These guys have to develop. You can add all the new great players in the world. If the guys you already have in this roster that are 21, 22, 23 years old don't get better, You'll get better on the margins, but it's not going to be a complete turnaround. So that development, really, to me, is the most important thing over the next few years. Well, you want to get those guys or next year. You want to get those guys to get to their second contract and keep them on the team. That tells you that they've been playing well, right? And, and progression's not linear. Like, did we see a huge jump from Lorenzo Carter from year one to year two? You saw some progress, but no. Was there a big jump from BJ Hill? No. Was there a huge jump from Will Hernandez? I don't think so. Are we no. seeing incremental improvement? Yes, but progress is not linear. It's not guaranteed that every player is going to jump up one, two, three, four, whatever levels each year. It depends on the player. Guys develop at different paces. So you need these guys to continue to develop, take larger jumps, and that's what's going to put this team into playoff contention as much as any new people are that are going to come in. One of the things that Dave said yesterday that, that really didn't shock me, it was just kind of interesting. When they were talking about the salary cap of going into this year and being have the money for free agents, he said you like to spit. There's $40 million, you like to take 20 of it and put it in the bank. For guys that you want to restructure, there's guys on the market that are available during the season, things like that. And we've heard him say that before, but 20 seems like a pretty big number. But that's the number he used. But do you think he's including the draft class in that number? Because if you include the draft class, the draft class on its own, with you're picking fifth, is probably going to be close to eight or nine, which then makes that number a little bit more reasonable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No, but, neither do but, I. But it was interesting that when you talk about Things like, you know, the people always say, oh, you have 40 or 70, 80 million dollars to spend in free agency. You don't have all that money because you do have to put some money aside. Mm -hmm. Um, One good thing about the Giants is they have money coming off the books this year. This, which will help them. Well, they took um, the pain for one year this right. year. And, and it then was a pain. Now it opens up. It yeah, absolutely. Definitely was. Sure. It definitely was. And so, you know, now I think, and the other thing that he said about free agency is that, you know, yeah, free agencies are great. The free agencies help you players in certain positions on your team to better your team but you build through the draft and that is this is in the third year now this will be dave's third year of drafting and and now it's the proof in the pudding it's going to have to come to fruition and these guys are going to need to play you hope you you hope you can find another darius slayton in this draft this year a guy whoever it is whether it's a linebacker a cornerback whoever it is that can play like darius slayton did in that position drafting because those are those are diamonds in the rough. You don't find that very often. Mm-hmm. You really don't. So Yeah, occasionally you do have to hit on a couple of those day two picks. You just have to. So, I mean, day three picks, excuse me. It'll be interesting, and I know that the process of interviewing coaches will continue to you know to go through, and um, there's schedulers, whatever they are, we don't know. But, I mean, eventually they'll, they'll get here, and the Giants are going to have to, you know, they got to wait if they're going to wait some guys that are on, on teams already, like um, that are playing, if they're going to interview those guys, they got to wait till they're done, or there's a t- certain time period that they can interview for. So we'll see. We'll and see just your general take, Jeff, on the decision to, to let go of Coach Shermer and well, to, to hold on to Dave, and then we'll get to your calls, folks. Right I think this. point blank, really when you talk about giving Dave Gettleman his time for his plan, we've always talked about that three-year plan. I I feel like the Giants didn't want to quit on that plan because they said to him, listen, we'll give you three years. Two isn't enough. The the Pat Shermer thing, nine wins just doesn't cut it in the National Football League. So that's basically the bottom line of what happened here. And Jeff, we talked about it during the year. 
it wasn't a tough schedule either. As it turns, well, it out, was set up to be one of the best schedules in the NFL yeah, coming it, in. Well, if you if you look at winning percentage against the Giants, had one of the you know easier strength of schedules in the league, and you look at some of those games in the middle of the year, whether it's Detroit yeah. or Arizona or the Jets. Those are games going in where you know both teams you know have a fair shot at winning the game, and the Giants didn't win enough of those 50-50 type games. And they didn't win some of the games they should have won with even good competition. The Eagles game, the overtime game, yeah, that should have sure. been yeah, game that, on know, uh, Monday night. Yes. Yeah, so there are there you know if you really get into breaking down the season, John, if we wanted to, we could probably come up and 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 go. We could probably find four or five more wins to this team, maybe four. Okay, so they, they get to eight wins, you know, maybe seven, eight wins. That probably would have saved the season, but it did. So we'll see. And that's the way the season goes. There are no ifs and buts. And but but you, hit, you, did, and you did mention it. We have said this, and I think that it's important to understand that uh, we both were around here when the McAdoo team, when the players, literally you could tell that they quit on their coach. By the way, that was another thing. Everyone seems to just throw out there that the reason Ben McAdoo got fired was because of Eli Manning getting benched. It's really not true. I, no, mean, I mean, was was it was that whole thing involved in that whole issue? Getting you know, with the whole thing the way it went down. Yes, yeah, sure, I guess. But remember this, guys. Remember, come who on. Who was the first person to say to the you know, John Maris said this publicly that he said to you know the general manager and the coach, let's take a look at these younger guys, and then everything started going down from there. So the bottom line is that the reason Ben McAdoo had to go when he went was because of a lot of the stuff surrounding it. With you know, guys, toxic. Like, yeah, it was. People stopped playing, and they, they were quitting on the coach, and yeah. that's that's when you run into problems. Well, that's that's a never that that's just a down slippery slope. It never it never dries up, and people get back up and go. It doesn't. It just keeps going. So you got to you got to nip it in the bud. Um, the thing with Eli this year, and with the starting of Daniel Jones, is that Daniel Jones he 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 wasn't expected to be this good, if you will, at that point in time. I mean, he really did. He came out. Look, I'm telling you. This may or may not be the truth, but I'm telling you in my mind, when I saw him play in training camp and then in preseason and, and things like that, you kind of had a thing in your mind saying, listen, this guy's going to be in there maybe before you know it because he's shown a lot of things. Remember in preseason, we wanted to get some certain situations that he could he could try to do well in, the end of the two-minute drill at the end of the first half, you know, uh, just certain things that he you wanted to see him do. He did all of them, and he did them well. Which is kind of why one of the reasons why he got in there as, as good as he did. I still think those last two games, him sitting on the bench, will help him going forward for a long time. Being able to see Eli Manning operate at, at later in the season when he kind of had some experience as his own, being a starter. Yeah, and there was simply no way to know that Jones was going to be ready that quickly. There's which no is, way. Which is the point that Dave Gettleman made too in those interviews on Thursday. There was just no way to know that he, by week two, and he would pick everything up so quickly and be so good, so good, so good, so good, so fast. There was just no way to know that was going to happen. But if you want to take the good and all of it even though four wins isn't good you got you got a lot of playing time for your future quarterback this year yeah, and a bunch of guys on defense and a bunch of guys on defense and you know so if we're looking at it that way then that's great but you know we're not looking at four wins as being the greatest thing in the world we're looking at these guys got experience and now going to be able to roll it into whoever the coach is going forward all right 201-939-4513 hashtag giants chat Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment, made to chill. Let's go to Bruno in Atlanta. Hi, Bruno. He joins us first on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Bruno, what's going on, pal? How are you? How you gentlemen doing? Happy New Year to you both and the whole uh, BBKL staff there. You too, Thank Bruno. You. Thank you. Yeah, uh, so I just have a, a, a point on the coaching search, but real quick before that, I just want to say, you know, Gettleman, I, I really, when, when you compare him to, to Jerry Reese and, and I defended Jerry's for a long time for what he did for the team. I mean, we, he he helped build two Super Bowl teams, and we, we that's undeniable. But in the end, things just kind of got stale, and it just we we weren't. And the draft was the worst part of it. You know, Gettleman has done a fantastic job with the draft. I mean, I think the 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 two draft classes he's done are are going to be solid pieces of our future. Well, Bruno, I think the important point too, and Dave made this point too, is that you really can't judge draft classes in their first year or two. I think the jury's still very out on all of these guys. I think they're promising. I agree with you, but you just don't judge 20 and 21 year olds on their first or two years, first or second years in the league. Also, oh, for sure, for sure. But I just think early returns compared to Jerry Reese's last couple of drafts are, are a lot more promising. No question. I'm with you on that, 100%. Now, where he, where he dropped, or whatever, in my opinion, where, where I think we're lacking is free agency. And even still, you know, I, I definitely appreciate if a free agent ain't working, he pulls the trigger on it. He, he, he 
he canceled it. Let's move on. So, I mean, there's there's something to be said for that. Yeah. The whole Odell thing, I mean, the, the guy is not really producing with a younger, better quarterback for Trash and Elon and all that. I'm, I'm glad he's gone. You know, we, we can't have some people, you know, they, we say all the time, decisions aren't made in a bubble. We can't have a Daniel Jones and a Kevin Zeiler and a Marcus Golden and an Odell. I mean, they're salary cap issues. We saw what happened when Jerry Reese brought in those high-dollar free agents. You know, in the, on the defense a few years back, it's it's not a long term solution. No, they're all gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, my main point that I called for was the coaching search. Sure. Um, you know, I remember when when Tom Coughlin got let go by the Jaguars. He spent a year off. You know, re, re, you know, finding himself, his his coaching, the decisions he'd made in Jacksonville, talking to other people, came back with the Giants, and lo and behold a much better coach, um, you know, came in with the staff. He wasn't the one making the, the GM decisions, you know. And But, I mean, we, we built something great with Coughlin there. That that kind of sounds like Mike McCarthy. You know, this guy, proven winner. You know, I think I was reading it was won 61% of his games at, at Green Bay, a Super Bowl winner, a leader of men, an adult in the room, a guy who's taken the offseason season. You know, to to take a step back and look at himself, he has a structure in place to come in and and lead. So I just want your your thoughts on that, and also, do you guys have any insight specifically on on McCarthy and and uh, I guess his personnel decisions? Does he want to come in and have full control of the roster? And I mean, if if what Gettleman said is true, he's willing to take a step back, then that you know. He might, might McCarthy might be able to make the free agency decisions and let Gettleman do the drafting. I mean, that sounds like an ideal situation to me. Thank you, Bruno. Appreciate the call, my friend. Good Thanks, stuff. Gentlemen. No, no problem. Happy New Year. Um, right. Look, uh, first of all, the Giants have not announced any interview with McCarthy. When that happens, we'll have it here on Giants.com. You know, we'll announce it for you. So stay tuned for that. In terms of what he did before, he was not a guy that did personnel in Green Bay. Remember that he was a guy that had Ted, Ted Thompson. Thompson there. Yeah. So he did not do that there. I don't think there's any idea anybody would know what his you know demands would be in in, in terms of that, um, if and when an interview takes place. Um, so I don't think there's any way to know for sure in that regard what he would want. But in his past, Mike McCarthy's a coach. He's not a personnel guy. That's just kind of what he's been. That's what a lot of guys are. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I think there's I think there's a lot of people that. Um, insert the old well. I want to have decision making stuff like Pat, like like uh, Holmgren. Holmgren was a guy that wanted that type of power, and some guys want it, but some guys may not want it. Some guys, like you said, John, he's a coach. Maybe he doesn't want to deal with that. Maybe he'll give his opinion on a guy, or you know, or he's heard some from one of his coaches. You don't want this guy here, and we're looking at him as a free agent. Well, guess what? Maybe have some opinions that way. Um, but you know, there are there are about taking a year off. Um, if you got to see anything on McCarthy and his tour or whatever they called it for the year off, well, you know, I have not watched that video yet. I really need it, to. It, the thing about it is, is that I didn't watch all of it, but in the gist, it's, you just need to watch maybe 20 minutes of it and you'll get the whole story. How sto- long is it? It's long. It's is long. It really? Yeah. It's longer than it's, I didn't like watch an hour. Uh, I don't know if it's, well, brand, you know, at all. 20, 20 minutes? I'll well, maybe that. Well, I, I didn't know, maybe I only watched ten minutes of it then. <laughs> I did, um, but the fact is, you can. It's 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 like like um, Bruno said. He is trying to understand what what he did wrong and how he can do things better and 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 kind of clean out his image. I will tell you that you know playing with Aaron Rodgers can't be. I mean, even though he's good on the field and everything, he can't be that fun being around. The guy's kind of a you know he's kind of a. A hothead when you think about it and so it may not be anybody it's probably very difficult to coach Aaron Rodgers and they're probably going to be a problem from anybody when that's when from that standpoint so but we'll see what happens with him I mean he's he's already had a few interviews he's had two interviews reportedly with the Panthers already so um I think he will be a head coach this year somewhere and we'll see all right let's go to Bob in Pennsylvania next he's up on Big hello Bob. Life. hey Bob hey um happy new year guys you too Bob um uh, I, last time I called you, John, I think it was about six weeks ago. And um, at that point, uh, first of all, I'm at peace again now because I can I can actually start rooting for my team because, uh, <laughs> because I was afraid we were going to string together a few wins and then this whole situation would have been dealt with next year. But uh, six weeks ago, I think I had said to you that I was desperate for a professional coach and I wanted McCarthy. And I 
changed my mind on that. I've seen that video. I'm not not totally buying it. Um, I don't want a West Coast offense. I and another thing is I don't want a coach calling his own plays. Um, by the way, just just by the way, McCarthy. McCarthy's a guy that can do that. And by the way, just real quick, uh, McCarthy did give up play calling for about a year or two in Green Bay. Then he took it back. Mm-hmm. So I don't know again if yeah, that ever comes to pass. Blood, though, though. I think it's in his blood. I, I want a coach that's a CEO of the whole team, not just focusing on a play sheet. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Yeah. Uh, I um, the guy that I want. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I know very much about college, but I I, I watched the Sugar Bowl last the other day, and I've been trying to find out a, a lot about uh, uh, Matt Rule. And he seems to be a regular guy, a New Yorker, seems to be a good interviewer, and you can't dismiss. He, he, he couldn't have gotten that lucky twice where he took two completely dismantled programs that were in the garbage and turned them completely around so I, I do and in other words like with McCarthy I was hoping we'd hit a safe double and I'm thinking at this Matt rule we could hit a home run and he might be the guy that's going to be there like 12 years that's a nice you know as long as there as long as you're a coach I don't want any guy anybody who hasn't had coaching experience that's why the guy from Dallas I hope you know don't go that way because you it, until you're in the position of coaching the whole team, I, I think you're taking a big risk. With so, that. so Bob, you you want someone in, at, that has some level of head coaching experience, whether in the pros or in college. Well, he's leading man, and players seem to really yeah. respond. To That's him. fair. Another thing, another thing I'd like to ask you guys about sure. is that we, you know, we, we, as far as that West Coast offense goes, we need an identity. We've got. Barkley, I feel like I don't know. I'm going to ask you, I don't know, both of you guys, and maybe Jeff in particular. He's been on the field. But don't you feel like that we've got this big offensive line, and yet you put them in a position where they weren't, and you weren't putting them in their in their biggest strength because they were on their heels with this um, shotgun and everything. How about we get back to an identity of <laughs> November? December football of really, and this rule was an offensive line coach, so I think he does like to run the ball first, and that's another thing in this plus. So if Mr. Mara will listen to me. <laughs> okay, guys. Thank, Thank you, Bob. You, Bob. Appreciate it. Um, Bob, what do you think, though? I just uh, want to ask you, don't you think that we kind of didn't use our offensive line people to their strength? They're big guys. And, when, and they were always on their heels passing instead of attacking and punishing. Well, well, the problem, Bob, is that the running game was completely ineffective for about the middle eight games of the year, and they averaged like two and a half yards per carry. And, and, that is, hurt, and the guy was hurt, too. Right, and that has something to do with the offensive line not blocking well enough, too. And if you look yeah. at the advanced numbers, they don't. They actually ran the ball better out of shotgun than they ran from under center this year. So the numbers don't tell you that they're going to run the ball better if you're not in shotgun. You know, that's just kind of the way it went this year. So... I think the offensive line is a block better. I don't think you can win in the modern alpha, win in the modern NFL by being a you know I formation standard personnel power football team anymore. And don't cite the Ravens to me because they have the freak show running quarterback in Lamar yeah. Jackson. It's a completely different situation. So look, I agree. You need an identity. I think obviously you want to use Saquon Barkley and utilize him a hundred percent. But you know. Passing wins in the NFL now. It's it's just, it's just the way the game is. You have to run well. I'm not saying you don't have to run well, but having a good passing game is extremely important. But every coach wants to be able to to run the football effectively. Well, especially once you get a lead, you need that. Exactly. You're gonna if you're gonna be a winning team, you need a four minute offense. You're gonna have to have a guy that can get your first downs, and you got to have an offensive line that can do the same. And so, but majority, like John was saying, you know, this is a passing league and most of the offensive linemen you're looking at have got to be really good pass blockers because what are they going up against? Really good edge rushers and guys that can get after the quarterback. So, and all these offensive linemen in college, what are they playing? They play in a spread offense. It's, all, it's all it is. And so, and you That's know what? what they do. And by the way, um, Daniel Jones, what did he do in college? Never took a snap under center. It has, everything out of shotgun, right? So... And, and even Dave Gettleman said it on the radio yesterday, and this was another thing that was interesting when you think about this. 
He's talking about these guys. The NF, the college game and the pro game are different. They're completely different when you think about it. And you're asking these guys to get drafted, all these young players that we're talking about, to come into the National Football League and play with grown men, 28, 29-year-old guys and get been around the league for a long time. These are 21-year-old, 22-year-old guys that are playing a different game in a sense. It takes the time to, to, for them to understand how to play big boy football. And again, I'm not trying to be, you know, monotheist here because you have to here's the thing about the NFL now folks and it's always been this way you have to be able to do everything if you're if you can't run the ball at all you're, in trouble. you're not going to be able to win no. if you can't pass the ball well you're not going to win if you can't stop the run at all you're not going to win if, if you, you don't can't have stop a quarterback the, you're not going to win correct you, you these things are all important to varying levels I know people another thing Dave Gettleman said on the radio he made the point that yeah the NFL has really changed a lot but you still need to be able to run the ball and he's right you do, you do need to be able to run the ball to an extent. You yeah. cannot be a team that can't convert a third and one or third and two oh. or third and short because you can't run the ball. You can't be a team that has so much trouble running the ball that you can't score well in the red zone. You know, these are times when running the ball is very, very important to help you win football games. So that stuff is important, even though by and large it's turned into much more of a passing league. Yep, I couldn't agree with you more. 201-939-4513. Matt in New York is up next. Matt, what's going on? How are you, pal? Oh, I forgot. See, I got, I'm got. i forgetting to put in the callers myself now. What's up, Matt? Matt hey guys, Rule. Happy New Year. What's going on, Matt? <laughs> happy New Year to you, too. All right, great. So I had a question for you guys about Matt Rule. Sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, much of what I've been reading about him is he's done a very successful job sort of turning around two college programs, uh, seems to be a CEO-type coach, both of which I think would fit very well for this team. Um, so my question for you is, he has obviously very limited NFL experience. I mean, one year as a Giants head uh, assistant coach about eight years ago. Yeah, assistant offensive um, line so, coach, right. So do you think that might make it difficult for him to put together a high-quality coaching staff around him, given he probably doesn't have the same type of relationships with NFL coaches as some good of the point. other candidates might have? Yeah, Matt, good question. Um, and again, just want to stress that the Giants have not announced they're interviewing Matt Rule, knows that they've asked permission. None of that's out there. So this is simply going off of, media reports from like Adam Schefter and stuff like that, that there's interest there. That does not out there. We're not making that connection. But in terms of rule generally, that was something that came up with him in the Jets last year, according to reports, where that was one of the things that he wanted forced him to turn down that Jets job. He wanted to pick his own staff. The Jets wanted to pick his staff for him. Which he now, should. Of course, the coach should always pick their own staff. So who was going to be on that staff? I don't know the answer to that question. I'm sure he's done his due diligence. Will he bring some people from his college staff? I got to imagine he's going to bring some, but I got to imagine he's going to bring some NFL veterans in that he knows too. Were you on the team, Jeff, when 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 Matt was here as, a, as an assistant offensive line coach? Well, 09 was my last year, so I don't think so. I think he was um, maybe he was here in 2010, maybe. Uh, I, let's check that. I'm not sure. I will double check it. Um, but let me tell you something. This league is made up of a lot of good young football coaches, good minds, um, people that have learned from yeah. older guys. It was 2012 here. You missed him by three years. Okay, yep. Um, so if it was, if any team hires Matt Rule, I have no doubt in my mind that he would be able to put together a pretty good staff um, because of just what he's been able to do where he's, all, where he's been and being able to, to win. And that's what it's all about, right? So – don't get discouraged because certain coaches are not hiring veteran coaches. There would be a couple of them that get on the staff, wherever it is. But I'm not afraid of young guys. They're innovative. They're relatable. Um, they have good minds. And they're energetic. One, one thing that, that Dave Gettleman said in his press conference, we need a coach. Somebody asked him about a coaching staff. I want, he says, I need some guys from energy and things like that. So I'm not afraid of the young guys um, because I think that they have a lot of upside to them. I really do. In a, in, a, in a league, John, where you know these guys, they burn the midnight oil. You've got to be young to be good in this league for a, for a long time. And, and to relate to so many young players on the roster, exactly. too, I think is part of it. Matt, exactly. what else you got for me? Matt? Yeah, I think that's it, guys. I mean, I think, um, I think it's key, right? I mean, I think really, um, aside from the head coach, having really good guys uh, on the staff to develop a lot of young talent on the team it's really going to be key. So if you guys feel that that's uh, you know not necessarily an issue because he's not a tenure guy in the in the NFL, well, it's good to hear. The other thing too, Matt, you, you know, Matt. I, I got to believe that everybody's a risk. Nobody knows, you know. I mean, it, no matter who it is in the National Football League, when you hire a coach, it means some teams just get lucky. Some guys get lucky. 
Um, you know, the Rams got lucky. They go to the Super Bowl right away. I mean, it's like things happen. Um, I'm hoping the Giants get lucky. I mean, I hope that they do their due diligence and they get a coach and they get lucky and get this organization going in the right direction again. Winning, getting people back in the stands and excited about Giant football again. That's That needs to happen. Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Also want to tell everybody that we are back next week starting at noon. Our Ooh. off-season time on Giants.com. I better so put feast, that in my thing. Put that in your calendar. It'll yeah. be noon starting Girl, next week, Monday through Friday. And, of course, it'll be the off-season crew, myself, Fegels, Dettino, and Lance. That'll take you the rest of the way. And if you're listening to this live on the Giants mobile app or Giants.com, that's great. You can also find the archive at Giants.com slash podcast. But more importantly... We're also on all your favorite podcast platforms. So just search for Big Blue Kickoff, and it will pop up. And then, of course, you can enjoy this in the car, on the go, on your phone, wherever you might be on all your favorite podcast platforms. Back to the phones. Let's go to Frank up in Buffalo. He's up next. Frank? Hi, Frank. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, Frank. Um, I have a very quick question. Uh, It's about Mike Shula. I was very impressed with him. Uh, especially the interviews that he gave, and I assume working with uh, with Jones. So I was wondering, why is he not among the candidates? Is it because he's too tied to Shermer, or what? Yeah, I mean, I think when you want to make a change, you want to make a change. And, and I think that would just be a situation where he's part of the old regime, and if you want to really make a change, go and make a change. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. I thought that um, it might have been Mara, uh, or maybe it was Gettleman, who said that they would recommend certain uh, of the uh, assistant coaches. Yeah. So that that would be uh, part of the, you know, that 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 uh, pattern. Well, they're all under. I believe they're all under contract, right? So they're still in the building. And I'm just telling you what John Mara said. They're going to the Senior Bowl. They're going to work the Senior Bowl and. And, and again, the Senior Bowl is, is basically uh, is a job fair and down there. You yeah, know? they're giving these guys every opportunity to find a new job if whoever the new coach is and they'll recommend he interviews them doesn't decide to bring any of these guys That's back. right. And, then, you know, there might be a guy, let's just say, you know, if one of the guys that they, they interview get the job and, and he's really good friends with Mike Shula and he's coached on a staff with him before, then he would have the opportunity to interview him and hire him again, I guess. So, um, or actually, he's, he would already still be on the staff, so he wouldn't have to rehire him. But we'll see what happens. I mean, there's a lot of these guys, the coaching trees, as John knows, these things go deep. These guys have been around different staffs. They've been on different teams together. They know people very well who know somebody. And that's how most of these guys in the NFL, that's why they're tenured so long. They just bounce around. It's just the nature of the beast. It really is. Appreciate the call. 201-939-4513. All right, what the heck? I got a bad feeling about this. What the heck? Losing his mind. He wasn't right in the hat. Enough jokes. I am happy. You're a madman. And here we go. Hello, Charlie. Charlie, you're not happy. <laughs> hey, John. Hey, Jeffrey. You're How really you not doing? happy now that Eli's <laughs> gone and Beatty are out of here. So you're not happy anymore. <laughs> hey, I, I'm a little happy. I'm a little happy. But hey, I got three things. One thing is, Steve Tisch has been talking about pretty much that he. He's 50% owner, and he wants to get more involved and have more say in the operations and all that. Why didn't he do the presser with Myra? Well, Why Steve, didn't he Steve, stand up there with him? And that would have shown that, I, hey, I own 50% of this team. And why didn't he make a statement? Why well, no, Steve, he, no, no, he did. Charlie, after the press conference, he stood with the press for six minutes no, outside wants, he, the editorium. And, well, I know, but I'm telling him he did take questions from the media for six minutes after the John Mara press conference. So, yeah, it happened. They flipped a coin. John won. That's not true. <laughs> no, just Remember, John Mara has a title with, within the team, too, that's more than just owner. He's president and CEO. So it, it kind of is for the sure. reason he's the one that's up there. Yes, Charlie. Charlie. Charlie, hang up. Oh, what a wonderful start to 2020. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Len in Columbia, Maryland. He's up next. Charlie, you can call back if you want. Len, what's up? Hey, guys. How you doing? I hope Charlie calls back. I hope he wasn't angry about anything. No, he wasn't. He's always got a good take. He just never pays his bills. That's why. You know, um, (laughs) I'm a a be-in-the-stadium guy. I mean, I want to be in the stadium for games. I'm 
I watch on TV, but yeah, I, I just much rather be there. I I got to tell you, and Jeff, you know, I think you probably know the feeling, probably from being a player. Um, I'm a little jealous of those four fan bases this weekend. I mean, those stadiums are going to be electric. Those parking lots will be excited. Mm-hmm. Those people are going to be screaming, cupping up and going up those escalators on the way to the game. Man, there's nothing like that. We we got to we got to get a home playoff game, guys. <laughs> Just yeah. somewhere along the line, one more time in my lifetime, we got to get a home playoff game. Jeff, there's nothing like it. Were you at the last you know, game? You can speak to that. You can speak to that. Were you at the last game? The Eagle game? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's probably why you're still feeling the way you are. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, no one. We really haven't had an opportunity, and I don't want to do that today because it was so bad. But, um, uh, you know, that was just that was the whole season. I mean, that was the microcosm. I mean, that's that's we watched that all season. I mean, you know, there was nothing. There was nothing good there. But, um, you know, we got to get. I mean, we got to get back. And, yeah. Uh, Dave's Dave's trying to get us there, and he's doing some things. And you know, one of the interesting things in I, I don't know. We'll probably never learn this, but you know, a lot of th- things going on behind the scenes. Um, you know, changing the way we do things, how you do things in the building, and what you emphasize, and so forth. And yeah, you know, even the emphasis on analytics. Um, I, I I think it was overplayed. I, I mean, I think we were probably doing more analytics than Dave, you know, led on even when he took over the thing. You of know, course, I mean, of the, the whole game is built around analytics. I, you know, I think coaches, you know, as far, I think as far back as the 1800s when football started at the college level, I mean, they were doing analytics. See, Len, Len, here's the problem. Learned, Len, Jeff, here... The basic thing they learned was good big guys beat good That's little guys. Well, Len, Len, he, he, Len he, he, here's the problem when people talk about analytics generally. They think analytics is just running backs don't matter, win probabilities, and some of the stuff that always gets bandied about on Twitter. Your point is absolutely right. There are a million ways analytics in, in, infects teams. And Jeff can just talk about game preparation in terms of other teams' tendencies and stuff like that. 100%. The, the way the Giants use the GPS to monitor how much activity yep. the guys have yep. to practice. Yep. There are a million yep. different ways oh, that yeah. analytics oh, are yeah. used by the Giants and every umbrella. other NFL team. Yeah, it's a big umbrella. It really is. Yeah. Now, I'm, I, and I'm not patting them on the back for their use of it in the past. I'm just saying I, I think it was there. Um, you know, but but I guess where I want to go with this, I I, I think where it all starts, um, and you had a previous caller who spoke to this, and I think he was right on with it. You know, it all starts with a philosophy of who you want to be. John, I disagree with you a little bit. You made mention of the fact that you know you got to be able to run the ball, you got to be able to pass, you got you know you got to be able to do all. The, well, you can't be all things to all people. Some, I mean, Belichick doesn't do that. No, but Len, uh, Len, Len, you, my you, point you is not that you have no, but Len. the weakness and take away the strength. No, I of mean, course. You know, then, you, then you start building around, especially inside your division. No, Len, I'm my sorry, point. Ahead, no, that's okay. My point is that you don't. You're never going to be great at everything. That you're absolutely right. But you can't be awful at stuff. If you're awful at stuff, like you said, a coach like Belichick's going to come around and he's going to exploit that weakness and you're eventually going to pay for you being awful at something you're going to lose. You're going to have an identity. You're going to have a strength. But that doesn't mean you don't also have to be at least passable at the other parts of the game. So to your point, Belichick doesn't show up and see they can't stop the run and he runs it 50 times for 275 yards and you lose the game. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I think we got to – I mean, I think we have to – I think we have to pick a focus – um, you know who's the face of? We got to decide who's the face of this team. Is it Daniels or is it Barkley? It's always the quarterback. And, and then we and then and then we build around that. Um, well, they're trying. You know, we're, we're going to watch Seattle this weekend, and you know everybody's going to marvel at at Wilson. Um, but you know, the Seattle is basically a run-oriented team. Yeah, they are. If, if, you you wouldn't have DJ Fluker in your starting lineup along the offensive line unless you wanted really wanted to run the ball. And Len, they I mean, we, and they've we taken know what, we know what Fluker is. We had him here. Right, of course and Len, but I they mean, they've taken a lot of best, heat. And but that's Len, why he plays for Pete Carroll. The, the Seahawks can... the Seahawks have taken a lot of heat from the analytics community this year because they are such a run heavy team. The analytics community does not like Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. They don't think they're using Russell Wilson right at all. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, they, okay. No, that's that's a good point. Hey, one one thing about one uh, something that Jeff said, which I think was really right on. I want to try to build on it, or let me try to get Jeff's uh, yep. opinion on this. 
If you look at these teams this weekend and all the way through the playoffs, the, the guys who are winning the games for these teams mm-hmm. are between four and eight years in terms of tenure. Not maybe with them. They may be free agents who have just been on the team for a year or two. Mm-hmm. But it's those four- to eight-year veterans. The core of your team, we are a little young. You know, that's been over and over again the last three or four days. We are a little young. And, Jeff, you pointed it out. You know, they're going to be playing with 28 20. Those are the guys who carry your team. It seems to me that the core, the bulk, the team, the people you win with yeah. are in that four- to eight-year category. Jeff, you got any You got any comment on that? Lynn, go look at the first team, AP, all team, all pro teams, first and second team guys. Go down there and tell me how guy, how many guys are under the age of 25 on that list. Yeah, well, That'll give you an idea. Probably just Quentin Nelson. Just, I mean, um, not... Nope. Uh, do you want me to list all the guys that are under 25 years old on the team? I'll go through them. Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Michael Thomas, Ronnie Stanley, Ryan Ramchick, Quentin Nelson. So that's seven of the offensive players. I haven't gotten the defense yet. That are 25. Uh, those guys have got to be all under 25. They've been in the league for like three, four years, right? Maybe Michael Thomas is over. The other guys all have to be under because they're all on their rookie contracts. Defensively, it's a little bit different. T.J. Watt probably... Probably still under 25, I would guess. He's probably right around that mark. I bet he's under 25. Uh, Aaron Donald's over. Hayward's over. Wagner's over. Davis over. Kendrick's over. Gilmore. It's funny. Defensively, uh, Jamal Adams, Mickey Fitzpatrick, they're under. Jadavius White, under. Um, Everyone else is probably over 25. So offensively, you're actually very heavy. First team all pro offensively, you're heavy with guys that are probably under 25 years old. Sure. Which is interesting. Well, I'll tell you what. Not that every. Not that everybody's going to have all the stars. Nobody has stars at every position. But, I mean, you're talking about individual guys with seven different teams. Of course. If I I remember the names correctly. Yes. Except for maybe Ronnie Stanley and Jackson, the quarterback. No, you're right about that. uh, You know, know, we're we're talking about the Ravens, but Stanley's a four-year guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's the it's I think it's the veteran No, guys Len, no, Len, 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 you're right. It is not first and second year guys no. that are doing it for you. Yes, generally yes, speaking, yes. that is correct. Unless yeah, you're yeah. unless and you're a perennial all pro when like you start projecting this year's first round draft choice as part of your core players. I mean, that's one going to be one of our core players. I mean, you, <laughs> I mean, you're almost doomed. It's not going to work. It doesn't work that way. It, it, it's it's got to be those to me. Yeah, and I, this is not done scientifically. I'm just speaking right. off the top of my head here, from what I, you know, experience as much as I've watched. It's it's for the, it's it just falls into that into that category. Hey, I like these. I like the coaches we're bringing in. I hope we bring in six or eight of them just to be able to pick their brain and see what we get. And you know, let's get somebody who holds people accountable. I don't want to fall into a trap of this team being a young team. Oh, we're young. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're young. You know, that's why things happen. you got to learn how to win in the fourth quarter. I want a coach to come in here and look these guys in the eye and say, why didn't you do what we told you mm-hmm. to do? Of course. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, Hold and them accountable. I mean, we got to start building some accountability on this and just not falling back on the youth. Hey, Happy New Year, guys. Thank you, you for taking my call and keeping me on so long. I appreciate no, no it. No problem. Thank you, you for the call. Appreciate it. You're lucky John was in a good mood and cut you off Oh, today. that's so shut up. Listen, I think Look, that... Seriously, Lamar Jackson, second year, right? Well, Christian McCaffrey, this is year three for him. Was he the year before Barkley? He was, right? This is year three for him. Kittle, he's a young guy. So Ryan Ramchick, he's a young guy. Nelson was the same year as Barkley. So a lot of young guys on that first team. I think team. when you take five of those guys, which are the offensive line guys, you want you want your young offensive line guys because they don't last long. The offensive line, maybe a, a you know a left tackle if he's a, a you know a perennial All Pro every single year. Those guys last. Your offensive line, you know, John, they get they get hurt a lot. So those guys are going to be young, good players. You can you want those guys, but you need depth at those positions. And it's funny, you know, we talked about Ryan Ramchick a lot on this show that draft year. And he we were just there. so worried about the hip injury, and he only had one year of experience in Division One. We're like, yeah, he looked really good. He could be a really good player, but there's a lot of risk involved. Well, paid off. And what do we say about the draft? You never know, right? No. You just you, listen. I mean, did you watch Chase Young play in the bowl game? I mean, did, did he do anything? Do you still think that Chase Young is really, really good? Yes, yes I do. Absolutely. I, I do, but there are some people like, oh, he's overrated. He didn't do anything. Well, yeah, so you know, whatever. Is smart. It, my point is <laughs> that you don't know what you're going to get in the draft. So, you know, everybody at the end of the season was saying the Giants need to lose their games because of the draft position. This further tells you you don't know. You really don't. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Jeff in Long Island. He's up next. Hey, Jeff, what's going on? Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hi, Jeff. Hey, hi, guys. Uh, happy New Year. You too. And um, 
I'm calling regarding some issues that I, I guess I have with the offensive line. And um, the other day, uh, Paul, when he was on, was talk was listing the average yards per carry from the left side, from the center position, you know, uh, guard center, mm-hmm. and on the right side. And he said, you know, that we had like somewhere like 3.4, 3.5 yards going through the middle versus left or right side, which maybe averaged a yard higher, around a yard higher. And and my, my, my question is, and I've been thinking about this all year, but uh, um, about the center position, and I, I hate it now because, uh, you know, he, uh Halapio is recovering from you know from his injury you know after surgery and but i but i felt that he had a real up and down season and he looked good somewhere after uh the bye weeks but that last game uh, against Philadelphia, I, he was just being manhandled in in the middle. Uh, maybe he and Hernandez both. I'm not sure how that all played out. But uh, and Spencer Pulley, which I thought was the second number one, was used as an additional blocker for certain running plays. I, I would presume, mm-hmm. but. It seems like a a decision is going to have to be made coming whoever the coach is, whoever, you know, however the front office deals with it as far as, you know, where Jalapio is going to be at. I mean, they're saying he may come back, uh, you know, at training camp 100%, but even if he's 100%, I still have questions about whether the middle of that line is where we want it to be at. Yeah, I don't, I don't take as close of a look as Paul does in terms of di- success in terms of running in directions. But he's going to be running behind left guard, but the right guard gets beat and the tackle, the running back gets beat backside, and then it looks like you can't run left. So I, I, that I think there's a, there's a lot of noise in those statistics. I'll say that. I think you can use them, but I think there's some noise in there. Yeah, I have no problem, Jeff, bringing in some competition at center. I really don't, especially, you know, towards Achilles, that's a really serious injury. Who knows how a guy can get back from something like that. And there were there were a lot of situations this year where you had penetration up the middle, I think, where you don't want that. And, you know, no, a lot. Dave Gettleman said in his interviews yesterday that he did like the job the interior of the line did. And I think at times this year they, they, they did a good job. But, I, you know. He also said that he wouldn't be afraid to draft over some players, too. And I think right. that's the best right. way to put it. And I, and I think that's a position you look at. Yeah, I, I think there needs to be an improvement at the center position, in my opinion. There do. That's just okay. Me. That's good. And and just on a completely different, we're going to have a long off season. Oh, yeah. and, you uh-huh. know, with free agency, <laughs> with the draft, with everything in between, and going forward. I know you get a lot of guests who come on at various points in time. You know, based on what what just happened, whether it's the free agency period, where whether it's the draft. But I get a lot of agita <laughs> sometimes when I'm hearing a lot of guys like second guests. Uh, and these are the guests who come on your show, who who uh, who definitely said second guess and criticized you know Giants front office regarding you know the picks selections whatever the case. So maybe you can have a, like a running scroll underneath uh, your your screen that says you know uh, listening to these guys m- may be injurious to your health or something <laughs> like that. Because you should know uh, that going I, in. I, I just wish, like for instance, pro, uh, pro football focus has, uh, as, and you have them on a lot during the off season, it seems, and and they're getting blasted today because of how they looked at both quarterbacks from the Redskins and the Giants, and they claim that. Uh, 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 the numbers for the Redskins quarterback are higher than uh, uh, Daniel Jones's numbers. So, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm already uh, uh, jumping through hoops here, you know, trying to uh, keep myself calm regarding uh, some of these things that are happening. But I'm hoping that at least, you know, uh, as they come on during the off season, that uh, we put everything in perspective. I appreciate the call, Jeff. Thanks Thank a lot. You, and look, this is, we always say this when we talk about pro football focus numbers. First of all, we don't really even like to use their grades that much because that's a subjective deal. But we can't watch every offensive line in the league. When we get to like talking about free agents, we got to have an idea. You know, you have to have an idea, and they do watch and grade every play. Are they going to be perfect? No. Is it better than just going off of reputation and what p- other people randomly say? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to trust them more. Yeah, and you, they do do the work. They do, and there, and there's also there's other there's other facets of information that you can go after if you don't like pro football focus. 
again, it's one tool in the toolbox yep. that you go about analyzing play. And it, it you don't take it as gospel. You don't take it as sermon. But look, they do watch every single play, and they evaluate it. And again, they're not going to be perfect, but... As a fan, do you watch every snap of every game? You don't. And as a I fan, don't. It's impossible. I don't have enough hours of the day. And and really, if Jeff, you want to do an exercise, just pick one of the players on your team that you like, okay? And maybe kind of in your mind, grade grade him on the overall season, what you thought he would, would have been. And then go compare it to Pro Football Focus and see how close they are in, in their analysis and yours. And that will give you an idea if you really want to pay attention to maybe maybe the offensive line grades are not what you think they are or should be, but maybe the defensive backs are more to your to cater to what you think that they should be grading out at. So it's just a way to look like John said. We can't sit here and, and analyze every single play of every every game of every player. And when we're talking about things like breaking down our pregame show or our postgame show and we're doing things that we have to, we go to these just so we can see certain types of information that we can use it to our advantage. Do we have to use it? No. Do we like to use it? Yes, but it isn't the Bible. And do we? Yeah, exactly. We don't. It's not like you blindly follow it above yeah. all and, else. And believe it, there are some people that are religiously, you know, tied to pro football focus. Like it is the Bible for them. We understand that they're delusional, but that's okay. But some of them, some of them are good information. Some of them aren't. Who knows? Go to the other ones. So let's see. Uh, Next gen stats is another one yeah. you can go to. Mm-hmm. NFL puts that out, so you can go look at those. Right. And look, it's just another tool in the tool shed that you use. The same way you use analytics. It's another tool in the tool shed that you yeah. use to run a football team. The same way we go about trying to analyze things. It's just another thing that we have at our disposal and information that, you know, you wouldn't have otherwise that, that helps you figure out what players are good, what players are bad, and you learn more about these guys as you go along. And and that's a good thing, guys. The more information you have, the better. Even if it's information that you might not like. It makes you think a little bit deeper, maybe about your own team, about your own yeah. players, and you give a second look at, like, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not seeing things right. Maybe my eye test is wrong. You know, these guys don't have a bias; they're just watching, so they don't they don't dislike teams. They literally get paid by every NFL team. Be- they're clients, yeah. so they're not looking at, you know, you know what on players and teams. That's not what they do. This is what they do. Is it perfect? No. Is it a tool that's useful? Yes, and especially way, for us who have lives and we can't watch every player take yeah. every snap and grade them out. It's just impossible for us. But the scouting department does. Correct. No, They have their own grading system. I mean, do, we, do you ever hear us come on the draft and say, well, they drafted this guy out of this guy. PFF had this guy as a higher grade. That was a bad draft pick. We don't come on and say that. No, that's why nobody sees anybody's draft boards. Right. They don't, they don't want to know right. what everybody has graded, grade, the grades that they have on these guys. And listen, real quickly, John, about analytics. You have to be careful with football analytics because football is a game of emotion. And there is no emotion in analytics. Football is a big game where you sometimes you go with your gut feeling because you've been around it all your life playing games and knowing kind of, I just feel like this is going to happen. How many times have we seen it watching games? Like, you know what? They're going to run a bootleg here. They're going to run a bootleg here. You just know it, right? And what do they do? They run a bootleg, but analytics says you got to go up the middle. We're going to run the ball up the middle because they're in this type of front. Sometimes analytics doesn't work for you. You just hope it doesn't cost you games. Analytics tells you what the probabilities tell you is the most likely result. Exactly. Like you talk about win probabilities. People talk about punting and like say you're at the 45, it's fourth and five and analytics tell you you should go for it there, right? Against this team. Because that gives you, well, a lot of times the raw numbers don't even take into consideration what teams are on the field, which is part of the problem. But let's say if you, if you, Kick here, it gives you a 50. Uh, if you go for it, it gives you a 53% chance of winning. If you punt it, you only have a 47% chance of winning, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? That still means it's only going to impact your game 5% on six of every 100 games. That's right. So it's a real small number. Now, should you obviously maximize your chance to win every game? Absolutely. But it's again, that's how it works. And a lot of people just like, throw it or, and like there are people that know the stuff and we have are the 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 uh the the data scientists from pff on it and they they know the stuff and they understand that everything there's there's doubt in everything nothing is certain that's not how the world works that's not how nfl football works but it's just something you use and teams use to try to give them more information and more education as to how to maximize their chance of winning these games that's all you can do there are no short things but if i'm a coach and i look at that analytics and somebody upstairs just told me that probability 
and I have a punter that I know is going to get the ball and do a really good job of getting the ball inside the 10-yard line, which now gives that other team a less than 11% chance to go down and score. These are kind of things you have to start thinking about. Or if about. you have a really good defense. Or a good and defense, like, like, exactly. Like, like, let's say it's fourth and two, and your short yardage offense stinks. And it's no good. And you can't run short yardage. Your center would win out with an injury. Your left guard's out. And you're averaging two yards per carry during the game. And, and they have a, two great defensive tackles. Well, you know what? Then maybe going for it on fourth and two for you in that particular situation isn't the right thing to do because you have a really good defense. They're starting quarterbacks out. And you feel like you can pit them, make them go three and out, and then you're first and 10 at the 50 on your next possession. So exactly. it's all relative to the games. That's when people, oh, are you feeding win percentages? on every play, on every decision to the coach? No, because those percentages aren't customized to team and situation. They're simply league averages over a certain amount of years. And and now we're going to go late because we're on this little tangent here. But what happened, let's say the Giants are playing the Eagles. How does what you do on fourth and two with your offense in the field against their particular defense have anything to do with the fourth and two that the Dolphins had against the New England Patriots three years ago? Shouldn't have any. One has nothing to do with the other, but that's how those numbers are extrapolated. Yeah, yeah. Which makes you need to you need to really look at them very carefully. Well, th- that's right. You use them as a tool, yeah. but you shouldn't be blind to them either. That's my that, only point. And I don't think you should be tied to them as much that they can cost you games just as much as you can do. You, you know what I'm saying? They can cost you games by going with that type of philosophy, just out of pure stupidity right now there are the scenario that you just put in front of you right but there are and then there are other obvious situations where that's gonna those numbers are probably gonna help you from making bad mistakes and they're gonna help you win more games so again it's it's a real give and take and it's all part of the portfolio when you try to figure out how to win these games scott new mexico he's up next scotty do hi guys how you doing good scott what's up uh just uh, as a side note a friend of mine is a graduate of carnegie mellon He's an analytic genius. He actually works for a major defense contractor. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised in how many industries analytics is actually preferred. And not only that, they do take in the human element into account, Jeff. No, good. When they're maximizing equations and so forth for uh, these kinds of analytics. I don't know how it is in the NFL, but in other industries, it's very, very uh, uh, computed and very, very used in a very methodical way. So. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that. The Giants have done. They went out and hired some guys, according to Dave Gettleman, about, you know, going to try to improve their analytics. So we'll see what happens. And those four hires you were talking about, the way, were software engineers. Um, Go ahead. Anyways, my question is, uh, whoever becomes the uh, coach of the Giants, he has an enormous task ahead of him. if you look at the stats just on offense alone, and you look at the position of where the Giants finished uh, this year, there it's horrendous. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details because I want to. I know we're short on time, uh, but here's my question, and then it's a basic one: uh, Whoever becomes the head coach of the Giants, he's going to have to command respect uh, for free agents as well. And the reason I say that the Giants have pretty much sunk it up for the last four years. If I were a free agent or you were a free agent and you were looking at the Giants, what would be my incentive for getting, uh, obviously, the amount of money I'm going to receive to want to join an organization that hasn't shown a winning record in four years? So does the coach, whoever the Giants are, have to command that kind of respect that would allow free agents to want to sign with the Giants in important positions, whether it be a college coach. I was very high on, for example, yesterday I mentioned uh, Salah from San Francisco as a guy who I think is going to be a rising star. I happen to know some people in the San Francisco organization. So I know he's going to be uh, somebody that a lot of people are going to look at. But whether it be him or McCarthy or, or someone else, does that coach have to command the respect so that free agents realize if they do come to the Giants, uh, there's something for them to get. They're not just going to be here for one or two years and then their career is over, so to speak. And I just wanted to get your comments on that. And no. uh, since we're short on time, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, say goodbye and Thank uh, you, Scott. see you guys next week. Appreciate the call. I, um, can, I can answer because I've been a free agent before. So here's the thing. Money talks. <laughs> okay? That's the big thing. And you mentioned it uh, right off the top that money talks about a lot of it. Okay? Um, the other thing is is that I think that the the position coach means a lot too and some of the other veteran players. You've heard a lot of guys who call the other guys on the team and say, hey, John, what do you think about the Giants? You've been there for two years. Are they, are they up and coming or is this a sinking ship? 
you know, so they get some input from people. And but the main motivator is the money, the situation of what it is. Especially and that takes precedence. You only get one or two of these free agent. Opportunities. That's exactly right. That's, the thing. That's exactly right. And, you know, if you're a young guy coming off a rookie contract, this is going to be a big one for you. Most likely, if you've been a good player, um, you're going to get as much money as you can. And you're just going to go with it. Um, there are some guys that are in their second deals and maybe third deals that maybe they've got all the money and they want to win a championship. And that's when the decision making might come in a little bit uh, bigger as far as the team opposed to the money. So we'll see what happens. All right, Charlie was back, and he'll wrap us up. Hey, Chuck. Where'd you go, Charlie? Hey, guys. I guess I uh, must have dropped somehow. But, hey, I got two other things. One thing is now that uh, we're going to have a new coach, which I'm glad, he's going to have new eyes. So if uh, Mr. Fumbles keeps fumbling, he's not tied to this guy. He will sit him on the bench, and I think that's great to have a coach come in and, and, you know, not be enamored that this guy's our number one pick. Charlie, hold on, Charlie, him, Charlie, hold on a second. Who do you think the backup quarterback's going to be that you're going to want to bench Daniel <laughs> Jones for him? Seriously, what, Alex Tanney? And I no, love Alex, but geez, come Alex on. Tanny. If you've got a smart coach, he's going to bring a veteran uh, quarterback to be a backup that can take over in case this guy continues to do what he's Charlie, been doing. Charlie, Charlie, let me l- let me just give you a piece of advice. If you're sure. going into this hoping that the Giants are going to hire somebody that doesn't like Daniel Jones, so they bench him next year, you're going to be very disappointed by who they hire. I'm not saying that they don't like him, but yeah, they you will are. have eyes to look at him and see his total game, not just what you know. Well, the hopefully they can make him better does. than he is. But that's the big that's the big thing, right? Rather than you know, you're gonna have eyes. They want to try to make him better so he doesn't fumble. And right. I think he's gotten better and, but at that. What I'm saying is he's, they're not going to be so tied to the guy that if there is okay. a major flaw and they see it, they're not going to be afraid to go in another direction. That's all I'm saying. Okay. But there's one other thing. I got something for you that nobody's probably even thought about. I think the Dallas Cowboys are going to go for the try to get the first round pick, the first pick in the draft from Cincy. And this is the, this is the trade they're going to make. Because I don't think Jerry Jones thinks that Prescott is the answer. So I think they're going to trade Prescott, one of their really stud offensive linemen, and a draft pick for the number one pick <laughs> is take Barrows because Jerry Jones thinks Barrows is the next Troy Aikman. That's it, what I think. Was there a Charlie. sale on the cannabis up there this Ch- week? Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, Charlie, you realize Jerry Jones said last year he wouldn't trade Dak Prescott for two number one picks, even if one of those picks was the top overall pick. That's what he said. Yeah, I don't think Prescott is the answer, and I don't think he is either. He would have given him a contract right now. No wonder you wanted don't a call think? back. Charlie, have a good weekend. I can't. I can't. Well, do you You're said- trading not just Des Prescott. You're trading a starting offensive lineman and a draft pick for a quarterback that you have no idea if he's any good? Let the really? O- John, let the offseason begin. <laughs> this is what we're going to get every day. We're going to have these cockamamie ideas of whatever. Oh, they can't even find a coach right on. now or even talk about one. Really? That's what we're doing? We're trading Dak Prescott, a Pro Bowl offensive lineman, and another draft pick yeah, for, for the right Burrow. to draft Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow. Really? Me. Yeah. That, that, that's yeah. what we're doing. I guess so. In, in Charlie's world, that is. You no, know, Maybe if it's Trevor Lawrence, we can have a different conversation. Maybe. But that still is a little bit crazy. Well, you never know. You never know. That would be pretty amazing if it happened. You know? Amazing is one word for it. Thank you, Jeff. Not going to happen, though. Want to remind You're folks welcome. again, noon next week, BBK is back noon, at its regular time, Monday folks. through Friday. Thanks for being with us. All brought to you by Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment, Made to Chill. For Jeff Fiegels, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next yep. time. Have a good weekend. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Adios.